see some movement at the takeoff zone. It's Kelly Slater grabbing rail. A clean entry. This thing holding open. It spits. When it spit me, I thought it was going to spit me off my board. Comes out with the spit. Spits him out. Comes out after the spit. Gets spat out of another good-looking wave here. Spit, spit, spit. We're just spitballing, right? Yeah, guy. Yeah, guy. Yeah, guy. Welcome, everybody. Spit. It's Spit. It's Tuesday. It's December 1st, 2020. David Lee Scales, Scott Bass, talking surf with you on a weekly basis here on the Spit Podcast. Good morning, David. Good morning, Scott. You know why we're able to do this weekly now? No, please enlighten me. Due to the generous subscription dollars of our listeners. Oh, that's cool. I mean, look, a couple of uh, longtime loyal sponsors have supported us for years. Need Essentials, of course. Now NVS Fins is on the program. But subscription dollars are um, how we're going to kind of expand into this next phase of going weekly, having video production, all that sort of stuff. So for five bucks a month, listeners can get that. They have full access to our archives. They get entered into surfboard giveaways. We'll be doing, um, I'm going to give away some of my old sets of NVS Fins as well. And I know you are too. So lots of um, kind of giveaway opportunities for five bucks a month, surfsplendorpodcast.com. Go to support the show. I'm giving away an album soft top today um, from those who contributed or subscribed during the month of November. All of those names are going into an automatic name generator from the internet, randomly going to select one. And then one person wins that um, five, seven fish soft top from album. Cool. Very good. Yeah. Um, I see you got a new board. Yeah, I got a new board. (laughs) (laughs) I could just, I could say that every show and it would be true. Yeah, not really. Not every show, but you know, it kind of comes in phases, but um, yeah, I got a brand new Hank Warner made me this beautiful Chris O'Rourke caster and I'm looking forward to waxing it and riding it. Yeah. Uh, I've got a question. You talked about that board last time and I saw yes. photos of it. it. It has to channel bottom. Yeah. What are your thoughts on channel bottom? <laughs> well, uh, they're supposed to provide a couple of things. I believe lift is one of the things and, and paradoxically hold is the other. <laughs> I think deep, deep channels coming off the tail are more about hold. But, uh, you know, it's just like anything with the surfboard design. It all kind of co-mingles and intermingles and is um, connected to other parts of the design. And so how the particular component of the design works is relative to how the rest of the board is designed. And, um, you know, whether it's got, you know, a flat bottom or rolled bottom or what kind of rails, everything connects, right? It's one big design. It's not you know, this element of the board is supposed to do that. It's all one big deal there. And uh, we'll see how it goes. I'm excited about trying it. Have you ever had a channel bottom that you didn't like? Um, I can't specifically say that there's a board that because of the channels, I didn't like it, you know? Um, so I've only had a couple and I've always loved them. Yeah. And I think you're right. Obviously, design happens in concert, so it wasn't necessarily the channels that uh, 
were the magic sauce, but whenever I've had them on a board, I've always loved the board. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a fan, you know? Um, I remember we used to have the channel sort of in the middle of the board. Um, and I think that might've been in part because of the glass on fins okay. back in the day. And they just, they were just easier to put in the middle of the board rather than in the back half of the board where you had to deal with sanding the fins and everything. Um, but anyway, yeah. Interesting. Channel bottoms, bro. Go uh, for it. Side note. Yes. Unrelated. Yep. How was Thanksgiving? Thanksgiving was wonderful. I, yeah, I baked bread. I think I sent you pictures of my garlic and herb sourdough. You stepped it up by adding garlic and herbs. <laughs> herbs to Provence. Wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, it looked amazing. Hey. Speaking of amazing, Surfers Are the Worst t-shirts are available at staycovered.com. You can go there now, pick up a leash, pick up a board bag, pick up a scented candle, pick up some wax, and pick up a Surfers Are the Worst t-shirt. Staycovered.com. Staycovered.com. That's where you'll get them. I've seen a few people commenting, uh, DMing, or, inst- or uh, emailing saying they got shirts. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. You sold out last time, so. Um, I got follow up kind of actually tangential to our Mount Rushmore conversation, the ongoing conversation. Yeah. Did you see Greg Weber's Instagram post like two days ago? No. A a bunch of people sent it to me. It's actually, he is hilarious. Yeah, he is. Have you ever interviewed him or spent time with him? I I actually did interview him one time with Mike Tabling um, back in the Surfer Magazine days. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So Weber I absolutely have been meaning to interview and like talk to people around him. And like, I've been supposed to have interviewed him months ago, but I yeah. will get around to it because yeah. obviously he's in the wave pool business. He's in the artificial reef business. He's in the board building business yeah. and this latest Instagram, he wants to make a film. You want to hear what the title of the film is? Yeah. Ancient shapers of the most amazing craft on earth. <laughs> And it's actually going to be, he called it a film. It's not going to be a film. It's going to be a uh, mini series. And they're going to profile two surfers per episode. The minimum age of entry is 60. <laughs> <laughs> so nice. by, by his own deeming, you're not allowed to participate in this unless you're over 60, which I think <laughs> is hilarious in and of itself. I, so, I'm, I'm buying into that. I'm on board with that. I'm I'm okay with that. I think if you're over 60, you've put in some time and you're worthy to be in the group. I think that's a fair, <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's a fair way to look at it. But I'm, I would argue also there's some um, people who have done equally as influential, maybe even more influential things than some of the names on the list who aren't yet 60. Yeah. But, but I'm fine with it. I Who's like it. Who's on the list? Give me this list. So funny thing is, he just refers to a lot of them by their first name. Oh. <laughs> so, so Squiggy well, and Wally and exactly. Salty and Jim. <laughs> exactly. And most of them, I think we can figure out. So we'll see if you nail okay. it. And then I'll second. Uh, Bob. McTavish. It's got to be. George. Greeno. Got to be. McCoy. Jeff. <laughs> Simon. <laughs> Anderson. 
MR is clear. Yes. Dahlberg. Yeah, that's easy. Me. That would be David Lee Scales. <laughs> no, he put me <laughs> in his own list. Okay. No, I so, think he des- he deserves to be there. Uh, Earl Pedersen. Really? Yeah. Is, is that a Brazilian? I'm not sure. That might I, be. I would say I would say Australian. Oh, okay. Earl uh, pa- Patterson or Peterson? Peterson. P e d e r s o n. Oh, with a D as in dog. Yeah. Huh. Dick Van. That's, that's Dick Van Stralen. Yeah, of course. Uh, he goes on to say, for the premiere. I'm going to find funding so some older guys can stay overnight at the Angari Resort or at the Corona or Karuna Nursing Home, depending on the level of <laughs> bum wiping required. <laughs> That's pretty good. And then <laughs> he goes on to say, hold on, let me switch over slides. Uh, oh, by the way, he included a couple of uh, surf journalists. Nick, which I presume is Carol. Derek H for Derek Hines, uh, Derek Riley and Stu from Swellnet. Yeah. Uh, he says reasons, question mark, reasons for doing this. Number one, it'll be a valuable document. Number two, some of these old cunts will die in the not too distant future. (laughs) Number three, yes, of course I want to see these legends talk about history, but I also want to see them give each other some shit. Number four, it'll be fun overall. And number five, secret reason. That's pretty cool. I mean, he's, he's, he's on to something and it's something that, that you and I've been on to for a long time, which is oral history, getting people to just talk into a microphone is much more powerful than any other form, perhaps, um, even maybe more than, than film. Because especially if you're not like doing what we're doing now, which is recording on a, in, in a video format, if you just do an audio format, a lot of times people let down their guard. And I know you've experienced this. I have too, when we're doing um, our respective podcast interviews with people and, you know, 20 minutes in, they kind of forget that the microphone's on and they're just talking to you. And that's when the magic is made. I totally agree. I had that experience with stretch a couple of weeks ago. Um, the funniest thing I don't know if you know him very well, but uh, this actually won't come up in his and my conversation. So I'm glad to be able to share it here, but he DM'd me on Instagram. I posted something on Instagram on the podcast account and he DM'd me and I was like, and it was like very familiar. And I was like, oh, I guess Stretch listens to the podcast. That's kind of cool, you know? So we're having this banter back and forth. And I'm like, well, dude, anyways, I would love to interview you at some point, you know, when we can do it in person. He goes, yeah, 100%. Let's definitely make that happen. So I nailed down a date a couple of weeks ago. And he goes, sweet, man, are you bringing the car? And I was like, uh, yeah, I'm going to drive up if that's what you mean, drive up to Santa Cruz. He's like, all right, sweet. Yeah, I can't wait. So I go in his factory and uh, I, we like we start setting up the recording equipment. He goes, so what are we going to talk about? And I go, well, you know, you've listened to the show before, so it's going to be, and he goes, no, never listened. I was like, what? I go, I thought you said like in the, you seemed really familiar. Like you knew who I was or what I do. And he goes, no, he goes, to be honest with you, I thought you were Richard Phillips. (laughs) So, so I had done an interview with New York artist, Richard Phillips, who drives this sweet Porsche. Like he's restored this Porsche. Uh And I posted that 
promotion for that interview. And apparently Stretch thought that I was Richard Phillips, who is a friend of his. So the entire time talking back and forth, he thought he was talking to Richard all the way up until I show up and I'm setting up all my podcast equipment. And I noticed when I showed up, he looked at me kind of weird. It was in that moment that he realized I was not the guy he thought that I was. (laughs) So he said, but he was kind enough to still take two hours to do the thing. But it was exactly as a result of what I just said. It was what you said. He was like gun shy. You know, he didn't know who I was. He didn't know what, what level of kind of engagement I wanted. He'd probably never listened to a podcast before full stop. So you like, Richard Phillips's assistant is who you were. Exactly. <laughs> so he was disappointed, firstly. But for the first 20 minutes, he was just like, arms crossed, like not interested in engaging. And thankfully we got super deep after that. Like once he kind of realized the level of interest that I had in him and his story, he fully, fully engaged. Yeah. But I agree with you um, in that the oral storytelling is you get inflections in people's voice. You hear them. Um, I don't know. You just, there's a, there's a grace that you give them. I feel like if you took transcripts of let's say Joe Rogan's podcast and just printed it so much could be taken out of context. Whereas he gets away with saying a lot of things on air because you can hear him reasoning his way through a thought and even backpedaling and offering a little like counterpoint in there that probably would get cut out in print. So I do, I think it's a more humanizing way to convey information for sure. And you, you as the listener become more sympathetic to the person you're listening to. Yeah. um, And I, and I just think that when the camera's off, like when the camera's on, there's some pretty savvy people that are like, okay, the camera's on. It's time totally. to be, you know, me, the fake me. Here I go. I want you to know who I am. Yeah. Let's wipe the spittle away from the sides of my mouth and make right. sure that, you know. And when you're just sitting down over a cup of tea in your home, usually you can get to places that normally we wouldn't get to if there was a full setup. Totally. I also find people like to talk about themselves. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's everyone's <laughs> favorite topic of conversation. <laughs> You're looking at him. (laughs) (laughs) I, you know, it's funny. uh, Since we started doing spit seven years ago, or however long it's been, my whole idea with the podcast was like, I just want to interview people and kind of get out of the way of interesting people. And then this has required me to actually share opinion and like reveal, you know, my own worldview and thoughts. And I never really took me a very long time to get comfortable with that. I'd much rather just kind of like tee up questions to people and let them reveal themselves. Yeah. Blend into the wallpaper. Yeah. Um, Back to Mount Rushmore of shapers. Yes. So the idea for Weber is these are shapers specific, even though he added a couple of journalists in there. Paisel chimed in and he offered a few from America because apparently all of those were Australian. Yeah. Paisel said Yater, Merrick, Lyndon, Skip Fry, Steve Liss, Michael Barron, Stussy, Matt Moore, John Bradbury, Rawson, Chuck Andrews, Jeff uh, Bushman. What are your thoughts on those? Well, um, you mean to be in the podcast? No, to be in the Mount Rushmore of, or in, to be in uh, Greg Weber's shaping series. 
iconic shapers who have to be 60 years or older. They're all absolutely worthy. Yeah. I mean, Bradbury's passed away. Um, you have to be a profile piece on him. Yeah, I mean, I, so I'm assuming that he wants these people to show up and be interviewed. So, yeah. but yeah. yeah, I mean, look, there is a never ending list of completely legit guys. I actually like the idea of, of kind of underground or underrated guys too, that, that you wouldn't even know who they were, you know, like, a like a Mike Cruteau type, you know, um, guys who, guys like Greg Weber go, oh my God, this guy's the shit. Probably like that Pitt Patterson guy. Yeah. I bet that was a mentor, a guy that mentored Greg Weber. I'm just assuming, I don't know. But there's, every shaper has that guy. And a lot of times they're sort of under the radar, you know, like, um, you know, there's just guys. They're, well, I feel like even in Paisel's list, I feel like Matt Moore could be that guy. I don't think oh, I, I, I would. I would love to interview Matt Moore. He he would be great. What about Chuck Andrus? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, all those guys are totally worthy. You know, I mean, it's just, you know, it's interesting too how like Bushman, for example, was such a prevalent name when I was a kid because obviously Poncho Sullivan was riding those boards and. But really, I haven't seen much of him in the last decade or two. And I know he's still shaping boards. But, you know, and he might even be making as many boards now as he was then. It was just having a team rider catapults you well, into a certain a couple level. Of, a couple of things, I, and I might be wrong here, but let me opine that. Um, you know, when the two pros showed up in Hawaii for years and years, they went, oh, I'm getting a Bushman. I'm getting a Rawson. I'm getting a Tokoro. I'm getting an Arakawa. And as the surfboard marketplace sort of homogenized with like Matt Biolas, Channel Islands, um, you know, maybe JS or DHD, you know, um, Pizel, you know, it, it, it sort of like, it might've washed away some of those more local guys, you know, like Jeff Timponi or, um, you know, Bushman, right? Like, so I wonder if a lot of these guys maybe lost some of that local hierarchy or flavor when new, when guys from Australia or California flew in, you know, because yeah. of, as I say, this sort of homogenization of what the world tour people were riding. Yeah. You know, it used to be a real thing that you would like literally like send Dick Brewer a list and be like, Hey, I'll be there in two months please have these eight boards ready for me. And you might even send Brewer a list of four and you would send um, Takoro a list of four and you would send, you know, um, Glenn Pang a list and, you know, whoever it was, and Bushman or who, you know what I mean? Ross and would get, and so you would have your guy and you would be like, I only ride these boards in Hawaii, you know? Um, and now you're like, maybe you're going, I'm going to have Matt make me a, a bunch of boards. I mean, Mike uh, Mason Ho is riding only, for the most part, right? Um, Matt Biola's boards in Hawaii. So, and it's not to say that those boards aren't epic. They're they're probably, I mean, from what I can tell, they're incredible boards. Every Matt Biola's board I've ever had works insane. So, um, maybe that's part of it, right? This homogenization. Yeah, uh, I think the buying a board for the local break was never more prevalent than uh, 
it was in Hawaii. Like Hawaii is the place where you would want a board shaped by a local guy. And I know when the world tour would come to trestles, people would get Biolises and Timmy Patterson's or whatever else, but not to the same degree that people would mix up their quiver going to Hawaii. I mean, Gabriel Medina is synonymous with Johnny Cabianca, but in Hawaii, he rides to Coros, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So that was, it wasn't unique to Hawaii, but it was certainly a lot more prevalent in Hawaii. I know I would like to see that fleshed out and excavated some more. If in fact that still takes place, if in fact the guys are like, okay, I'm going to the North shore, I'm going to lean on an expert. I'd like to see that expert like the Jeff Bushman's of the world, get some credit where credit is due, you know? Well, dude, I mean, honestly, it's, important to ride the right board in those types of waves being undergunned or just uh mis mismatched with like if you're riding a groveler and you paddle out at something somewhere that's kind of meaty it you'll it's not even worth surfing like you will absolutely uh have a terrible experience so it all becomes really relevant once you paddle out and I mean, Pat Rawson's one of those guys. Pat Rawson's absolutely probably the guy. Like when you think about it, I mean, Pat Rawson was making world champions boards in, you know, the late 70s and for going every, into the 80s. I mean, honestly, for everybody from yeah. uh, the Ho Larry brothers. Berlman, yeah. Yeah. All the way Buttons. through to the Irons brothers. Yeah. Mason included. Yeah. So, By the way, I watched the recent Mason Ho edit. And it's epic. Always, right? the little sandbar at it yeah. where he's surfing little sandbar waves. It's super yeah. fun. Yeah. Hey, speaking of Hawaii, I've got a question for you. Okay. Tri- trivia question with the WSL world tour for the 2021 season about to kick off um, on the fourth, which is three days from now, Thursday uh, in Honolulu Bay in Hawaii. Um, here's my question. What is the connection, David, between a Hawaiian kahuna and the Rolling Stones. That's a tough one. It's going to have to do with the Rolling Stones going to Hawaii, maybe, or maybe a song lyric. <laughs> I have no idea. It's a tough one. Their 1981 <clears throat> Tattoo U World Tour, a tour supporting their new album, Tattoo U, was the first tour to be sponsored ever in the history of Rock and roll. Wow. Hoven Perfume paid the Rolling Stones $4 million. And that entire tour was put together by a guy named Kimo K.K. Ahuna Vale. No way. He's a Hawaiian kahuna, a shaman, and an impresario. And he served as the executive producer of the Tattoo You Tour, convinced Mick Jagger and the Stones to take on the sponsorship. And Keke Ahuna never sponsored another rock act again because, as he said, how can you top touring with the gods? So this Hawaiian kahuna was the executive producer of the Tattoo You tour. And um, by the way, the same guy did do other sponsorship tours, Julio Iglesias with Coca-Cola and Willie Nelson with Wrangler Jeans, but never again sponsored a a rock and roll tour because he had reached the mountaintop. What's his cut on that deal? You take 10%? I don't know. That makes, that seems to make sense. I go minimum of 10. This deal's never been done. I'm the one inventing this deal. Make it 20. He's the guy with the relationship prop that put it together. So, um, Kimo Keke Ahuna Vale. 
the Hawaiian Kahuna Shaman and Impresario. Uh, where'd you pull up this nugget? I was doing a friggin' deep dive on. So the Stones put out this album that I really love. It's 1973's Goat's Head Soup, right? Critics sort of panned the album, but I'm a big fan of it. And in this 50th anniversary edition that they put out, um, or maybe it's the 40th anniversary, I'm not sure. Um, 73, 83, 93, 03, 13. <laughs> 45th anniversary? I don't know. I was going to say anyway. we could figure it out by a simple <laughs> math equation. They recently put out the deluxe version of Goat's Head Soup. And on this version that you, you get with it, is an entire 1973 live Brussels tour. The tour stopped in, they did a European tour and one of the stops was Brussels. And this is the most incredible live Rolling Stones um, disc that I've ever heard. And it's super rare. They, they actually were gonna put it out and they had to pull it back for legal reasons. So they just released it wow. and it's superb sound quality. And the best thing about it is that it's Mick Taylor on lead guitar, who's just absolutely taking the, taking the shine of this tour, and he absolutely dominates. And it's very rare that you hear a live Stones album with such um, sort of prolific lead guitar. It's usually Ronnie Wood and, and Keith Richards sort of mixing back and forth and sort of doing this dueling rhythm and lead thing. And a lot of times you really, what stands out is the piano playing the keyboards and the horns, the saxophone sort of will take over the lead while Keith just kind of does the rhythm and Ronnie will mix in some very eloquent, but sort of like not over the top lead guitar. But on this tour, Mick Taylor absolutely shines. And in fact, Keith Richards at the end of the tour sort of complained about it because it, it was kind of, Mick Taylor was getting so much, um, you know, the critics were just hailing Mick Taylor's lead guitar. So anyway, I just listened to this the other day and I'm just like blown away. And look, I'm not a big fan of, of like live Stones concert CDs. I mean, you've heard one, you've heard them all. Um, but this one I heard and I just went, wow. So if you're in a Stones freak and, and you really appreciate what Mick Taylor did for the Stones, this live tour um, is incredible. Uh, it's a cr incredible. It's just Mick Taylor at his finest with Billy Preston and Nick, Nicky Hopkins. And it's just really, really, really good. Do you anyway. know when the uh, Stones were founded? I mean, no, not the exact. I want to say like 62 or 63 or something like that. So they were 10 years old or 10 years into their band at that point. Yeah. Yeah, 62. I just looked it up. Because uh, I was thinking I could see their early concert kind of performances being tighter, you know, before things got, before they got super, super famous and did the same thing. 200 nights a year for decades on end. I guess in, in one sense, it could be tight because of repetition, but there's probably a certain energy that they had in 73 because they were still young and it was all still relatively new to them, you know, that yeah. maybe you want to get out of a modern concert album from them. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, the modern concert might be a little bit overly polished perhaps, but yeah, there's and, and less, I've heard less personality in it even. You and I have both heard live shows um, of early Stone stuff that's actually kind of almost too rough. Mm -hmm. You know, like you got the sense that they were partying too hard or something. Maybe they just weren't like as tight. But um, this one, that's why this one stood out to me. You know, in 1973, I've seen the ninth. The, there was one where they toured Dallas 
they tour in Texas for one of the albums. Um, anyway, this one's just incredible. Mick Taylor really, really shines. And I've just been gushing over it to friends on text and stuff. Like, you got to get this Goat's Head Soup Deluxe album. It's insane um, because of this. You mentioned Tattoo You. 1981 what were you doing when tattoo you came out i actually saw that tour i went to i saw them at jack murphy stadium in san diego in 1981 no way oh yeah um i was a junior in high school um and they who opened for them was like um lover boy <laughs> the jay giles band it was one of those concerts where they had like five acts before the stones came out you know it was like an all-day event yeah um some other bands and that, that I can't remember right now, but um, fair enough. It was pretty good. You want to know was, what I was doing in 1981? You weren't even born yet. As <laughs> <laughs> <was> a zygote. <laughs> <laughs> You're the twinkle in your father's eye. Exactly. <laughs> well, um, that was a wonderful segue into us conversation about Hawaii. Right. The WSL World Tour. It starts. By the way, I signed up for the fantasy surfer on W on the WSL fantasy surfer. I've never done it before because I'm in a league with a bunch of guys. We throw a bunch of money in and it's a lot of fun, but um, the WSL fantasy demands that you pick a women's team. So I'm actually like involved in women's surfing and it's actually simple. You only pick four women. So um, I'm involved with remember, the WSL women this year. We remember we used to actually do a fantasy surfer on surfer yeah. magazine's platform and like everybody would put in i think five or 20 bucks a game uh event and then the yeah. winner took all yeah. uh and i used to smoke the women's side i used to win the women's side all the time <laughs> yeah yeah you, <laughs> and, did, you did your research there's no doubt and you were like oh that's don't no, i'm not gonna play the women's side i'm like all right you quietly lose over there in the men's side all the time and i'll just clean up over here by myself yeah uh i thought you were gonna do the survival league well, I'm still open to that. I just sort of haven't done the back work on it, you know? Um, okay, I looked actually, it up. Here's, we should do yeah. it. Or okay. no, I, you should do it. Yeah. If, if you can set up the spit team. Yeah. Uh, we Listeners can join. I'm going to assign this homework to Scott today. So any okay. listeners who catch this episode in a few hours from now or anytime beyond should be able to join. Here's the rules. I'll lay them out to you, Scott. They're very simple. There's only four. You pick one surfer per event. Right. Uh, for you to get points, that surfer must adva advance past the round of 32. You cannot not pick the same surfer twice throughout the season. So, you know, if you decide you want to pick Idolo Ferrer going into pipe, well then that's it. You're not gonna be able to you're not gonna be able to use him when we go to a beach break that he might right. thrive at. So maybe right. you would pick somebody like Jeremy Flores going into pipe because you're not gonna pick him anywhere else on tour. Uh so that's kind of the one little uh interesting part about this is that you can't pick the same surfer twice throughout the season. The winner takes one thousand dollars at the end of the year. It's twenty dollars to buy in. You only spend twenty bucks once. You get to play the full season, and a thousand bucks goes to the winner. There's no prize for second place. It's just winner takes all. So, Surf Vival League is where you can go. Um, I think there's a dash between those words, but surf, yeah, there is. Yeah, there is so a dash. Surf, surf Vival Dash League, and uh, join. It's easy to like one click to 
throw in the 20 bucks and then uh, look for the spit uh, team or whatever spit. Group. They're supposed to do um, Taylor, the guy who's running it wants to do a revenue share with us too. So there's, there might be a promo code um, that would probably be spit, but I don't even know if it exists, but regardless, I will definitely sign up for it. And, hey, let's um, call the promo code spit right now and we'll get Taylor to implement that. Yeah. And, and so importantly, they want us to make a pick this week because look, the pipe event is going to kick off this week. Yep. Right. No, well, a week from well today. the next a time you and today. I record. Yeah. Yeah. So well, the um, waiting period opens. It's going to be pumping though. There, there's, it's going to be pumping like in good conditions. Like the first couple days of Honolulu Bay and pipe and it's going to be good. I've been looking at it. Everyone's been looking at it and there's a couple of massive swells hitting Hawaii. In fact, this Wednesday jaws should be breaking. Um, so let's take let's let's go ahead and make a pick right now you mentioned jeremy flores is that going to be your pick david for this event do you think jeremy flores will make it through two rounds into the round of 32 i hate that i'm being forced to pick because i so don't want to tilt tip my hand Wait, let me make a quick change there the surfer has to advance through the round so you got to get through round 32 you right. can't just lose in round 32 you have to get through round 32 Okay, I'm going to talk my way through it before I commit to a pick. And okay. to be honest, I don't know if I'm going to commit to a pick. I have a feeling Taylor Dude. said, I think Taylor said like, hey, you guys should make a pick because he wants us to talk about his thing, but we're yeah. already talking about his thing. So, right. so I don't know of? if I want to tilt my hand because I'm not going to give people all this excellent intel. Yeah. And then- Oh, you're going to be in, you mean you're actually going to pay the 20 bucks and be involved in it? Heck yeah. Okay, I see what you mean. That's a That's a good point. Why would I- so this is where we could throw people off our scent. Yeah, exactly. Okay, I've got a pick for everybody right now. <laughs> Connor Coffin. Go long ah, on Connor you, Coffin. You, you hate Connor Coffin. That is amazing. <laughs> Go, or you know what? Better yet, Peterson Crisanto. I see him finaling. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You know what? Set up a second account, put in another 20 bucks, and pick Peterson Crisanto again. <laughs> I'm going to okay. second that Peterson Crisanto <laughs> pick. It's hard to go against your deep dive research. I know you've looked into this. Peterson's definitely a finalist. Clearly. Look, and he's so, a, he's a solid five foot four. So every wave is going to look twice as big on him. That'll add to his score line. Right. Uh, so here's, if you want real talk, I'm not going to tell you who I'm going to pick because I might want these guys for later in the season. Yeah. But Gabriel Medina is yeah. the guy who you would put money on. Gabriel Medina, if you just ran the stats statistically, would win the event. The only thing about Gabe Medina is that, he, as you mentioned year after year, he's a slow starter usually on the tour. Yeah. Like at Snapper when they're in Australia. And of course, this is a different year. They're starting at Pipe. And you're right. As you mentioned last time or the time before, about two weeks ago, I was sort of poo-pooing the idea that they're starting at Pipe, but now I'm getting behind it. I'm kind of excited about it. It is a really exciting way to kick off the tour. I Frankly, I'm pretty excited, I got to admit. And I'm kind of excited about the women at Honolulu because yeah. it's going to be – it could be 8 to 12 feet. That'll be amazing. I would love yeah. to see that. So, yes, I'm excited about the Pipe start, but also this is a gift for the WSL. Um, not that coronavirus is a gift for anybody. However, they – 
offered, they announced this tour restructuring before coronavirus. And they were met with, you know, the internet always gives them flack no matter what, but they could get a lot of flack for that. Now, in hindsight, what will be remembered was we started the year with pipe and that was the 2020. That was the year of coronavirus. So coronavirus will get the blame for this reworked tour schedule. And it looks like a genius move. When you look at it in hindsight, it looks like, oh, the tour had to get reshuffled. And then they started with pipe. Wow, that's a great bang to start off the season, you know, rather than just losing the entire season and showing up at Snapper in March. So I think um, in hindsight, it'll bode well for them. This but is one I, of the I, greatest conspiracy theories you've ever come up with. Dirk Ziff created the coronavirus. <laughs> <laughs> the, the ultimate, the waterman of the year for 2019 created the coronavirus. Uh, wow. So, so when it comes down to our picks though, so yeah. last year, Idolo won the event and the world title. They find he finaled the pipe with Gabriel Medina. Idolo's actually been in Hawaii now for at least a week surfing all day, every day. So that is something to note. Gabriel, I think, is headed that way now. I don't think he's actually landed yet. Um, Kanoa's en route. Kelly Slater's probably there by now. I saw that he was en route a few days ago. Obviously, John John lives at Pipeline. So being there early in the season has always mattered. And this year, I would argue, it matters more than ever. So those are important details, I would say. Well, again, Spitz, the promo code. Surf Vival League, it's S-U-R-F-I-V-A-L hyphen league. S-U-R-F-I-V-A-L hyphen league. And um, pick one surfer to make it through round 32, and you move on to the next event. And if you don't, you're out. And then the winner at the end, I'm not sure. I'll have to talk to Taylor about if there's a tie, because I imagine there will be a tie, how they break that tie. But um, um, I got a couple of questions for you, Scott, since you haven't made a pick yet. Yeah. W- would you put money on Slater? That's a, such an interesting one, because when I was doing the fantasy, my fantasy team, I was looking at Slater and going, well, God, am I, am I, I've been on, I've been riding the Slater bandwagon to um, a mid-level finish for quite a few years. Yep, you sure have. Um, He's been in Indo. He's been surfing great, right? Yeah. Would I pick him for my survival? This is the one time you need to pick him. Well, we'll look at the other stops on tour. When are you not? Well, you're not going to pick him in like Brazil. Right. So I might pick him for G-Land. I might pick him for Chopu. Yeah, but J Bay maybe Snapper. Not going to pick him at Snapper. So Pipe might be the one time you pick Slater. One of one of three, right? Is what you're saying. G Land and Chopes. So G Land, even I'm questioning because honestly, I think G Land's the one. He's got more. He spent more time out of G Land than any of the guys on tour. I bet. I think G Land will come naturally to Idolo and Gabriel. Yeah, but I'm saying Slater, relative to the rest of the 29 or 32 guys. Slater's got G-Land figured out. And you need to know that wave, I think. But, but he hasn't been there in a long time. We don't know that. I do. I know everyone. <laughs> <laughs> All 
Okay, what about so so Slater looks like maybe a potential pick yes. for Pipe. Okay, yes. even though he's been surfing a ton in Bali, yeah, you're right. Actually, that absolutely matters. I was just gonna say he hasn't uh, having like the competitive fire is going to matter, but he has that innately and he has yes. more experience with that than anybody. And he's been surfing more than anybody. So Slater could be a great pick actually. Um, Kanoa Igarashi, his stats at pipe are pretty I know. staggering. He, I know. He's a finalist at, I think twice. Yeah. Cause he finaled against Michelle Perez that one year. And then uh, Jeremy Flores, I think. Yeah. He, he, he's, he's definitely a good sleeper pick. The because because it's the first event, I'm I want to like, this is the one where you're like I want to know I want to pick one. I mean nobody wants to lose the first friggin' event of the year, so you're like I'll just go with John John, just to get through the first event, you know. So, I um, mentioned two weeks ago that Tokyo Rising John John's film was going to debut on Amazon. Yeah, and I called it my must see moment, even though it hadn't come out yet. I watched it this week. It is absolutely a must-see moment. If you want to get fired up for this 2021 season, Tokyo Rising, it's so good. And every time I see John surf, I forget how good John John surfed. Like I, I watch it and I'm just like, well, I knew he's a two-time world champion. He's my arguably my favorite surfer. And then I watch him and I go, wow, he's better than I remember. It's freaking crazy. Yeah, so it's funny. Is John John Florence the most like he's he's almost the most under marketed world champion of all the world champions? It's like you kind of forget about John John. Like it's almost and maybe part of it's because you know the surf industry is sort of um, you know contracted and I don't know. It, if you think of all the world champions, is I just feel like he doesn't. He's not in my mind's eye as much as. You know, Andy think, Irons or you Kelly know Slater. I'm. I think it might be because he's still on the ascent. It feels like whatever potential John John had, it's still kind of unfulfilled. Like we expected ten world titles from him, and he's too deep and two Eddies, by the way. Uh, and so, but what's he without? Kelly Slater's record, you know? No, he's without a pipe, <clears throat> a pipeline master style. Oh yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which is actually the ooh, big story. Ooh, yeah, that's yeah, good. that's sort of the under the radar story here <clears throat> is what kind of pressure is on him to win the pipe masters. And he would, oh. I would suggest to you none, but I mean, on some level, I mean, all the pipe specialists have won there. Jamie O'Brien's a pipeline master, um, of course, Kelly Slater. All those, all the guys that considered themselves pipe guys have won it well when i talk about him being on the ascent i think he views it the same way where he knows he's going to win pipe and so he doesn't really put a ton of pressure on himself um you don't think he will you well, just... no, i i hope he does i hope he does it this year i i want him to to get to get everything that that is deserved of him and <clears throat> but the, to, to say he knows he's going to do it it's kind of gnarly. I mean, let me ask you this. At what point in his career do you start to feel pressure that you haven't won pipeline? I well, mean, how many years in? Isn't he like eight years in or 10? How, I mean, how long yeah. has he even been on? So at what point do you go, oh, shit, that pipeline title's getting farther and farther away. He's not closer to it. He's farther away from it. It's a great question. We would have expected it to happen already for sure. Right. 
Uh, I'd say when you turn 30 is when you start to feel the pressure. And I think in every interview I've heard from him, and certainly in this Tokyo Rising piece, he's so um, calm and there seems to be a much bigger plan in place. And he doesn't view any of these F, any of these goals as like, this is my life's achievement. Like my heart's beating through my throat to like try to get through this goal. It all seems just like a baby step from one baby step to the other. Like, yeah, I want a world title cause that's a baby step towards 10, you know? So that's what I'm going to do. And I feel like pipe is just one of many baby steps for him. And I think that bodes well for, uh, I don't know, for achieving goals and like also for his casual kind of approach to surfing. Um, so, I would agree with that, but I, again, is, I would ask you. I would ask you: At what point does it not become a baby step? At what point does it almost become a problem? Yeah. Well, look, there's more competition now. Each year, there's more competition than there was before because this year he's got Jack Robinson. Exactly. Like That's who so I was thinking, what if Jack Robinson wins it? And and like so, Kanoa's still on the ascent too, and. So is Gabriel and Idolo is because Idolo's got to back up his thing. Uh, and I would suggest to you, there's a lot of guys: Ryan Callanan, Ethan Ewing, Jordy, Jordy, and Jordy Ju- is on. Do you think Jordy's on the ascent? I don't know, but the description that you gave about when does it become an albatross for Jordy, it is, and so he's going to be scratching people's eyes out. Julian Wilson, same thing. He's a pipe master, but he doesn't have a world title yet, so he's going to be fighting with the same amount of ferocity, like. There's never been more competition for John John to win that thing. But John John, you watch John John out there and you go, oh, shoot. Like he is better. <laughs> He's that much better. As we look at the new season kicking off, you know, you mentioned Julian Wilson. And I thought to myself, gosh, if there's one guy that's sort of totally under the radar for me, at least right now. It's Julian Wilson, who's a guy who's in the top five the last, you know, he's probably, I don't know the exact stats, but he's always up there. And, um, you know, it seems like we're talking about Idolo. We're always talking about Gabe. We're talking about John John. We're talking, of course, about Jack Robinson. I often mention Ethan Ewing as a guy. There's Ryan Callanan. There's Kanoa. Never are we going Julian Wilson, Julian Wilson. Three or four years ago, I was claiming Julian Wilson was going to be the world champion. He's kind of like at that place where it's like the descent. You can only have your heart broken so many times, Scott. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, look. (laughs) <laughs> shame on Julian the first eight times shame on me the ninth time I think for 2020 as I recall I suggested to you that Kanoe Igarashi was going to win the 2020 world title you certainly did how you feeling about that pick it's 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 still in the running it's still <laughs> could happen <laughs> he's not the 2020 world champ nobody is so it's Same. still it's I didn't lose let me just put it that way okay I got another question yeah Chloe and Dina um, I mean, I think Chloe's kind of, he's kind of in that Julian Wilson, Jordy Smith place for me. Like he could, he could do it. He could be the, he could be a world champion. He has the talent, but is he on the backside? It's kind of like, I think every guy that, that is on the backside of his, um, legacy they either have that letting go moment, that sort of Kelly Slater, like, I'm just going to, Barton Lynch talked about it. When Barton Lynch won the world title, he had kind of, he was really close the year before, a couple of years before he was supposed to win it and it was snatched from him. And he went into that world title year going into Hawaii and kind of was just like, you know what? I don't even, it's kind of over. Like there was no expectation. There was no pressure. There was a letting go moment. 
the, the moment that Kelly Slater talks about a lot, where he just kind of like looked at things from a different perspective. And because it was liberating, his performance rose to the occasion. So the question is, can Julian, can Chloe, can Jordy, can they have that letting go moment? Can they, can they see things from a, in, in sort of a new, through a new prism? And that's yet to be determined. It certainly is. I think Pipe will reshuffle uh, the rankings in a way that we haven't seen before when we've always started on the Gold Coast. Because I could see Kaloe is always going to make the quarters be or better at snapper, let's say. At Pipe, I'm not convinced that he will. And especially if it's big Pipe. Like I could see Kaloe leaving Pipeline in last place and then be fighting back throughout the rest of the season. And I could see somebody like, um, like you mentioned, Ryan Callanan making the quarters, you know, yeah. or Seth Moniz making the quarters. Yes. And so I think we're going to see a totally different tour just by virtue of the, for the rest of the season, by virtue of the fact that we're starting at pipeline. Um, Owen Wright could be a sneaky pick. I don't think that's sneaky at all. I think that's, that's, um, that's kind of, a, he, he's, I see him as a quarter finalist for sure. Adrian Buckin. No way. Is he on tour still? <laughs> Do you remember? I, thought he, I thought he was the commissioner by now or something. I mean, honestly, he could, he, if the waves are good, actually, I'm going to reserve that comment. Ace can get eights and better at pipe. I don't see Ace going backdoor. And I could see a lot of people who have the ability to do both and pulling out a heat over him because of it. Look, I don't mean to, to, uh, too degrade, you degrade Ace Bucket, but he's certainly the old guy on tour these days. There's no yeah. doubt about that. Yeah, but I mean, honestly, he is a formidable opponent from a tactical standpoint. Instead of looking at it like who's going to do good, think about it like this, who's going to do bad? I'll tell you. Kyo? No, no I think Kyo could actually be a sneaky pick. Kyo's yeah. amazing at waves like that. Um, so I think the ones that you would automatically not pick – Matt McGillivray, uh, Alex Ribeiro, uh, David Silva, Morgan Sibilic, Mikey Wright, I like, but I don't see him really doing much at pipe. Jadson Andre, Pedersen Crisanto, Connor Coffin, I would all throw out. I love Wade Carmichael. He's actually my must-see moment this week, but I don't see him <laughs> doing well at pipe. Dude, Wade Carmichael. Every time I watch that guy surf, I say to myself, how huge is he going to be when he's 40 years old? <laughs> I watch him surfing. I'm like, holy shit, that guy, he's probably only 23. When he's 40, he's going to be 260 pounds. He's going to be doing the gnarliest, like, J-Bay man hacks you've ever seen. Imagine the turns he does now, but with 80 more pounds on his body at, like, six-foot J-Bay. It's going to be insane. Like there could be a whole new tour just based around him surfing if, in fact, he can paddle and get to his feet. There's going to be new weather, weather patterns based <laughs> on the amount of water he displaces into the atmosphere. Right? That's amazing. Kind of, what, are his, what kind of board construction is he, are they making for him at Rusty to support? Yeah, he gets like old school, you know, like 10-ounce boat cloth. <laughs> Double Volan with carbon. Yeah. Um, how many boards does that guy go through? Yeah. That's why nobody, why I didn't have a board sponsor forever. How much, do you, how much do you think he weighs now? I don't know. You know, I don't think he's like 
heavier than Jordy necessarily. He's just more compact. He's like a pit bull. He's gnarly. Just to, is it just me? But every time I see him surf, I go, when that guy's 40, he's going to be insane. He's yeah. either going to be like at the pub, but probably be definitely at the pub no matter what. But will he be leaving the pub to go surf or will be, he might be having a lawn ball. Who knows? Yeah. yeah. Well, if he just keeps surfing, hopefully he can uh, stay in fighting shape. So that edit's amazing. That's my musty moment as well. Mine, mine too. Mint is what it's called. It's amazing. Yeah. 10 minutes of just raw power from, by the way, great use of his time during COVID, you know, like, like South Stradbrook and yeah. some other spots. Yeah. So um, anyway, I interrupted your thoughts on no, back I think, half of the pipe masters. Who's not going to do well. I think I covered it all. Yeah. Um, yeah. But also, is everybody going to make it to pipe? Wow. Great question. I don't think so. I don't think they are. Huh? I'm not sure. I wonder if they're, if they're getting some super uber duber, it's like special waivers from the County, some sort of professional sport wavering or I don't know, man, but the, it's ever changing, you know, the County city of Honolulu and the governor um, regarding COVID restrictions and what they're going to do moving forward. So uh who another, won't make it you gotta I, be there already for yeah, sure that's if you're the not there you're done exactly like and kelly so, kelly might not be there i think so i saw kelly a couple of days ago was on the move um oh. so I'm, i think he's there by now but i don't know man i read last week those new COVID restrictions where you have to board the plane with a negative you can't board the plane saying i've had the test and i'm gonna wait results until i get it you have to board the plane with a negative or when you get off the plane, you are 14 days. Right. And I've Mandatory. heard horror stories of people getting hung up for two weeks, quarantined in places. Yeah. And by the way, taking on all of that added expense too, um, which isn't a deal for Kelly, but if you're just a regular random traveler, it is. Um, so the other thing is even if, so if you're not there already, you just need time out of pipeline. Like if you've had a full year off and you're showing up in Hawaii three days before the event starts or five days before the event starts, you are simply not going to advance through heats, especially with John John. Yeah, well, like, it's going to be eight to 12 feet too. It's yeah, not like no, it's going to be no easy. Joke. It's no joke. I think we're going to see a real like uh, disparity between the top of the tour and the bottom of the tour. No offense, Matt McGillivray. Which suggests but, Seth Moniz, maybe, who's a full-on local here. You know, John John, obviously. Yeah. I'm sure Jack Robinson's already over there. Yeah. Um, it's going to be interesting. I, I hope that the there's going to be a couple of back-to-back -back swells. I hope the last part, we, we get some magic at the last end here so that the semis and the finals have some amazing pipe surfing. Yeah. Well, this could also really solidify a thought that we've shared over and over, which is the need for a smaller tour. Because if we see this huge disparity between the guys that I named that aren't in contention for winning this thing and the 10 guys that we talked about for the first 10 minutes, like if the top 10 guys are triply as good as the bottom 20, why even have them on the same tour? Exactly. Know? And I think that we will see that in this event. It will be a tripling of of skill that's better. I got an interesting question for you. Philippe Toledo, if he makes the semifinals or better at pipeline this year, it's considering uh, that it's going to be epic and big. Is he your world champion? 
Uh, no, he is not my world champion, but I will stop making fun of him. Okay. Because I guess obviously what I'm assuming here is that, okay, he's, he's matured as a, as a professional surfer in big giant meaty pipeline. He's made the semifinals so that he is out, you know, over the tipping point. We can consider him now, um, you know, obviously a top contender. I will consider him a top contender. Yes. And I will stop making fun of him, but I will not consider him. He won't be my world title. I didn't know you were making fun of him. No, I wasn't making fun of him. You were just criticizing him with an, with the eye of a, you know, somebody that's yeah. involved in watching this stuff. Yeah, that that's more accurate. Uh, what I will say is perhaps perhaps uh, Felipe has developed more skill and prowess at bigger waves or let's say waves of consequence. That doesn't mean that you can be competitive in that environment. So even if we've seen him paddle out and get a couple of bombs here and there, that's very different than what Gabe is doing out there. You know, in Tokyo Rising, John John talks about uh, surfing pipe last year. He was doing it with an injury just so that he could shore up his qualification for the Olympics. That's what the whole film is about. And Kelly was slowly gaining on him through the year. So John John was like, dude, I got to put my knee brace on and go make a couple heats at Pipeline just to secure my spot. Well, he ends up against Gabriel Medina in, I believe, the semifinals. And John had walked through a lot of his previous heats. But Gabriel Medina, he goes, he goes, the tactics that Gabriel was implementing out there were unbelievable. He's like with priority going on waves that he doesn't need. Just so I look back and I miss the next thing that's coming. Like he goes, it was out of control. And so that's kind of the difference between Felipe. Felipe is able to do that at snapper, right? Or at trestles, but to have that level of, uh, comfort in waves of consequence to be able to operating those many levels ahead is you have to just be so comfortable out there. You have to be not scared at all. And I don't see Felipe ever getting to that point. Jack Robinson's there. Gabriel's there. Idolo's there. Kelly's there. John John's there, but maybe, maybe uh, Jeremy is there, but not a lot of other people. You know, you brought up something that I think is fascinating and needs to be brought out into the light by the commentary team in a real way. And that's this idea of tactics and Gabe Medina using tactics and John John noting it. And to me, I would suggest to you that there's probably um, 28 of those 32 that don't even think in that realm. They're just like, yeah, I'm going to put on my heat and what do I got to do to win? I got to catch two waves to the beach or whatever. They're not thinking on that next level. Gabe Medina is playing, you know, four dimensional chess with guys who are playing checkers in many ways. And um, those tactics that John John speaks about, are proof of that, you know, and I was speaking when I interviewed Barton Lynch, we were talking about, you know, how would you surf against John John? And he was specifically said, Hey, look what Zeke Lau did. That's how I would surf against John John Florence every single time. Yeah. I would paddle right up to him and get in his grill and just be, you know, do that Zeke Lau thing because you're going against John John. What are your odds of winning unless you sh- shake the guy somehow? Right. So John John up until that point with Zeke Lau has solely relied on his, his talent and he, and he did really well with it, you know, and so many people are enamored by him. His own competitors are enamored by him. And so they go out there just kind of glossy eyed, like, Oh, I'm with John John right now. So good on Zeke for exposing that. But I think John John came back with a new level of. Well, I agree with, I agree with your last part there. In many ways, Zeke Lau sort of, 
fortified John John's game. Yeah, exactly. We hope, you know, we hope that John John went, whoa, okay, shit, this is what it was like in the 80s on tour. Okay, I didn't even know. I, most people were just bowing down to me and pretty right. much anointing me. And now Zeke's kind of in my grill and making me look at things and tactically thinking about things. And Gabe Medina, too. So, And that, too, speaks to why I would love to just see a 12-man tour. Now, I know that's not realistic. It's never going to happen. I get it. But, you know, we need the commentary team to go, hey, man, there are tactics going down from for a few of these guys. And here's what's happening. And here's why it's happening. And, and you know, somebody who I don't know who it is on that on that commentary team, and it might not exist, needs to break that down. Totally. And frankly, you, I could see somebody like Barton Lynch being that guy. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Barton is that guy. But you're absolutely right. There's only a few guys who have that world, like the amount of talent required to win a world title, plus the amount of tactical, the mind, the tactical mind to also do that. And, and to that be able to break it, it down. That's honestly the difference. Well, you're talking about from a commentary standpoint, but I'm talking about from a surfing standpoint, that really solidifies the difference of why Jordy hasn't won his world title, why Julian hasn't won his world title. Kaloe remains to be seen. Like if he can kind of get into that headspace, because I watch Kaloe surf, he's phenomenal. Like I, there's not any hiccup in his game at all. Maybe big wave barrels, but I mean, he's so fundamentally sound. It's crazy. So if he had that Gabriel cutthroat mindset, he could win a world title. Yeah, the ability to adapt to situations from a tactical standpoint. You know, like we always say, look, they have all, they're all talented, physically talented. You know, mentally, where is their game? You know? You know who's an interesting one is Kanoa Igarashi. Totally. Because I see him understanding the four-dimensional chess. Me too. On a, on an unemotional level. Yes. Like he, he knows it and it's been a part of his life, but I, he doesn't have the, um, it's kind of like a Zen quality. almost. Yeah. He doesn't have the steely eyed, like cutthroatness. But, that at least Gabriel not in the has. open, not yeah. out in the open. I think internally, I think he does have that though. Which is like, it's kind of a interesting case study because when he won Bali, the guy had a conniption. Like he showed more emotion than I've ever seen a surfer show. Like he was possessed in his celebration, almost embarrassingly so. So he's absolutely emotional about it, but when you watch him surf heats, or I mean, when you watch him stand up on a wave when he needs an eight and there's five seconds left, you know, there isn't any um, nervousness. All business, yeah. It's all business, yeah, but deep down he cares. And But Gabriel seems unemotional in a way that feels ferocious. You know, he's unemotional because he's, He's a lion who's going to kill. He's out. He's on the prowl and he's going to kill. But I feel Kanoa understands all of Gabriel's mindset. He just has a certain, I don't know, calm about his understanding. Yeah, I, I think that there's a seriousness that occurs with all of these top 10 guys um, that, again, they would do uh, the, the end user – a favor by sort of getting into yeah. that part of the game. Totally. Um, we were talking about surfboards made for specific waves earlier. Yes. Will we ever see a surfboard shaper uh, kind of come up and become famous next to a wave pool? Like a shaper coming out of Waco, a shaper coming out <laughs> of Palm Springs. 
no, that'll never ever happen ever. <laughs> Can you imagine? Although the land is cheap there, you could build a factory there for relatively cheap, probably. Yeah, but you need to fund the factory with surfboard sales. Yeah, I don't know. You know like what? a wave, a wave pool specific line of boards. They just work that much better. Never say never. By the way, I've, I found some information on the WSL going into Hawaii rega with regards to the health and safety of the people here. And I'll just read this. The WSL has worked with medical experts and state and county officials to help ensure that the Maui Pro presented by Roxy is safe for athletes, staff, and community. To help prevent large gatherings, the competition is being staged as a non-spectator film production. That must be the way that they have to, like, on the permit, call yeah. it. In addition, the WSL requires multiple COVID-19 tests for athletes and staff, daily temperature checks, which I hear are useless, physical distancing measures, minimal personnel on site, and frequent disinfecting of common surfaces. <laughs> they'll, be, they'll be wiping down the cave at Honolulu. These standards were developed using guidelines from the World Health Organization and the Center for Disease Control and Prevention and are in place for the entire film industry in Hawaii. So they're using it as a film. That's how they must have pulled the permits for this. Yeah. It's a film thing. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, Scott, we, our must-see moment is Wade Carmichael. You got anything else? Um, do you remember that kid that flew to Neos from South Africa and just got the most insane barrel ever? A 13-year-old kid? Yeah, his name was um, something Hall. Um, Flew by himself without his parents. Yeah, and he just got the most ridiculous, uh, ridiculous, uh, I think it's Kai Hall, is that right? Sounds familiar, yeah. Anyway, he was the winner of the Barton Lynch oh, good. Blast Off Video Challenge. Kai Hall, he's, not, he's the most valuable player, the MVP. <clears throat> and um, in Barton's words, he said... Um, this motivated young South African Kai Hall chased the swell to Neos to get back his best tube lead. And he did just that with the ride of a lifetime that took him a world, took him to worldwide notoriety. The fact that our event contributed in motivating Kai and driving him to the greatness is what we are all about and why I couldn't go past Kai for most valuable player that from Barton Lynch of the blast off BL blast off video challenge. So Kai Hall won the, uh, won the deal there. Most valuable um, player. I mean, that makes perfect sense. How it do does. you beat that story? Exactly. So um, anyway, yeah, my musty moment is, uh, that Wade Carmichael bit I saw in stab. It's pretty amazing. Mint, uh, well worth watching. And by the way, I was going into 2021 season kind of, I thought about Wade Carmichael prior to that video and I was like, eh, Wade's kind of like, I don't know that he has a place in the modern era. I watched that video and I'm like, well, Wade could win a world title. <laughs> like Wade is gnarly. And that style of surfing is timeless and it's undeniable. You watch him do two of those turns and that's an eight every time. How would Wade do it? Two to three foot snapper rock. There's actually some great snapper rock footage in that clip. Yeah. You know, those draining barrels that have the foreground has the white water and the people walking by. I'm pretty sure that's Snapper. We've seen him there, and he does really well there. And again, if you want to win a world title, I can guarantee you a world title. Get two eights in every heat for the rest of the season. Like, that'll do it for you. And Wade can do that. Two turns, going right, going left. Two of those power hooks. 
yeah. are enough to get you eights anywhere in the world. I mean, obviously, Chopu and G-Land, it's going to require him to know how to ride the barrel and pipe, but uh, for the most part, you know. Do you think his weakness is backside tube riding? Yeah, 100% it is, and I've never yeah. seen him in bigger barrels, period. And is that more because we haven't seen him in that? Yeah. Because to me, it's we don't know if or if not. You know, like to me, that's only his weakness because we haven't seen it. And I True. could easily go, oh, shit, a guy actually knows how to – he's actually did yoga this morning and can pull it off. He doesn't look like the kind of guy who would fit in a backside too. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Just imagine when he's 40. He's going to be kneeboarding. That Johnny Boy Gomes <laughs> stance that is just like, you look like you're um, like a... I love Wade Carmichael. It's like they a They call him point. a Boca Jesus or something I like know. that. They do, yeah. <laughs> um, oh, I hope, like, look, if the waves are big enough, anybody can fit in the backside too. So, yeah. Um, so, hey, Duke of the Week, surf photographer and warrior poet. Is it Marty, Marty Tulemans? Yes. Is that how you pronounce it? I believe it is. I've only seen it in print, so I've never heard it pronounced, but surf photographer and warrior poet Marty Tulemans has died of kidney failure. This oh is, my God. This is news as of yesterday. Uh, Marty was a man, this is Derek Riley's words. Marty was a man of indeterminate age whose flamboyant behavior driven by his mental illness helped create a sort of cosmic legend. Minutes after I had sold a painstakingly restored vintage station wagon to him, I looked out the window of my office to see the 40-year-old Valiant mowing through the company's flower beds, the compact <laughs> Dutchman's grinning face only just visible over the, <laughs> above the oversized steering wheel. <laughs> um, Tim Baker also shared a story, and he said, quote, he took the two best surf shots that I ever had of myself and knowing full well that no one was ever going to pay for anything for shots of an intermediate level surf mag editor. He got prints made and then he gave them to me out of pure kindness. Every interaction with Marty was memorable for his colorful cosmic raves, but there was always some profound truth underpinning them. It can't be, it can't have been easy being Marty with his wild swings and his surreal worldview. You'll be missed Marty. And you made surfing more colorful and fun out of, uh, for a ton of surfers. Oh, that's great. You know, and again, one of those guys, you know, that one of these wicked, wild, fun, colorful characters that makes the surf world and the surf culture so vibrant, you know? And there's sure. many of them and they're great for sure. And actually now that you said that I'm going to read, um, what Nick Carroll wrote about him too, because Nick Carroll's was really kind of funny. He said, I'll never forget Marty rolling up to our family front door back in 1976. Tom and I were innocent grommets and the cosmic pygmy, which was his nickname, the Cosmic Pygmy was one of our early encounters with the sort of incredible humans who dwelled in the realm we were doomed to inhabit for the rest of our lives. We went out in front to meet him and he bowed, then began a kind of ritualistic movement, a dance, if you will, swinging his hips around like an Indian yogi. Do this, he urged. You'll open up your chakras. The smell of patchouli arose and wafted across our lawn. Our 80-year-old grandmother, who lived through two world wars and a depression and was now engaged in raising three grandkids on a foreign shore, was entranced by Marty. What an interesting person, she said to me later. She was totally right. 
Um, So. Well, that's, yeah, too bad. I'm sad to hear that. Rest in peace, Marty, Duke of the Week. I mean, his images, it goes without stating, but his images are iconic. You start looking through some of his photos and you're like, that became the photo of Michael Peterson. You know, that became the most iconic shot of snapper at the time or whatever. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Yeah. So rest in peace, Marty. All uh, right. Well, anything so Scott, else? How about, yeah, yeah. I was going to say, uh, I'm not sure if neat essentials still has those Prima loft jackets. I should have checked with them, but I got two of them last week that I'm going to be giving as Christmas gifts. So that promo code there, it's a lightweight, there's no down in it, but it looks like a down jacket without the down actually. And it's just like a lightweight, um, really warm, but also you could wear it on a cool, you know, on a not super cold night. Those are available on Need Essentials. The promo code is SPIT and you get 30% off. Our California Need Essentials HQ is moving locations. So they're um, in the move, trying to move less inventory. And that was something that they had plenty of. So grab that for 30% off for yourself or for a gift for the holidays. Yeah, absolutely. Need Essentials, um, Naked Vikings fins would also be a consideration for a a gift for yourself or for a surfer in your life and of course um surfers are the worst t-shirts and we might even have some spit podcast t-shirts before the whole deal's over and i have uh stickers that are ready to be picked up too like a bunch of stickers with the spit uh podcast in the fast times at ridgemont high logo sweet So we'll throw those in. Um, And also thanks to everybody who has been subscribing. We're getting a steady trickle every single day. And so that is going to go a long way towards supporting our efforts, building new content and being able to get more people involved and do a lot of the tedious work that simply we're not good at. We need graphic designers. We need editors. Yeah. Thanks in advance for um, subscribing to the Spit Podcast. We appreciate it. And the Survival League, I'm going to sign up um, again, the spit, the uh, promo code is spit. So David and I are going to sign up for that. And um, so consider that after you listen to this, go sign up. I think we got two new subscribers while we were recording this show, Scott. And one of them I'm going to give a shout out to. If anybody wants to drink amazing, uh, arguably top tier Santa Barbara wines, look for Dragonette Cellars. No joke. Like uh-huh. top tier Santa Barbara County, Dragonette. I've been drinking them for a decade since they started. Maybe I could send some wine to some some of my family members. Use Dragonette. Go to their website, Dragonette Cellars. The reason why I mention them is their winemaker, Brandon Sparks Gillis, just uh, signed up as a subscriber to our show. Cool. Thanks, Brandon. Brandon's um, lifelong bodyboarder. I knew him from the wine business and randomly ran into him at the pier at Huntington one day, like both wet in our wetsuits getting out of the water. I was like, what are you doing here? He's like, I'm selling wine in Orange County. Like I'm down here doing a sales call and uh, thought I'd get a few waves before going to going to high times in Newport. So yeah. Sweet. All right. Well, look, until next time, David, adios and aloha.
Au revoir, merci.